Before we get started, I just want to I want to thank you, Rebecca, for just being so open and honest this morning uh, and just sharing some of your uh, your past few days, your few weeks, what you're going through, your trials. Um, but just being so raw. Um, there have been many times uh, in front of a church I've had to be raw too, um, and I just want to use the opportunity to, to tell everybody that it's okay to not be okay. And the reason I say that is because a lot of times people come to church and they put on their fake smile because you're supposed to be a certain way here. And and in many times that's like wanting a patient who's got a broken leg to walk, you know, confidently into the hospital. If you're hurting, you go to the hospital. If you're hurting spiritually, you come to church. So this morning I just want to plant that seed. If something's going on in your life, you have struggles or hardships or hurts that you're dealing with, it's okay to not be okay here. And I hope that, you know, you guys are already a tight-knit church family, but um, if you are here going through something this morning, don't leave this place before you connect with someone uh, that you can trust to, to just share what's going on let them pray with you. Okay. Uh, why don't we just start off with a word of prayer this morning. Father God, we are so thankful to be able to gather here, uh, as we already prayed this morning, to, to gather in, in freedom in this country, to not worry about the police kicking in the door, or any ramifications down the line. God, we are so blessed to be able to come here, to have so much talent in our midst to, to lead us in worship, and, um, and God, to really be a church family where we can come here uh, with our hurts, with our, our bad habits, with our mess, the mess of our lives. We can come here and just be ourselves before you. We are so thankful for that. And God, I just pray that you would send your Holy Spirit right now to speak through me, make my words yours. Speak to the hearts of each person here. Speak to the hearts of those watching online. And God, may we leave this place in an hour changed, more like you, more like Jesus. And God, as you do that in our own lives, as you transform us from the inside out, I pray that as we leave this place, as we go back into our weekly lives, as we go to our jobs and our families, that we would bring the light of Christ to those places and bring change not just to ourselves, but to this whole city. Would you bless our time this morning, God? We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. amen. I just this week heard a story uh, of two friends who were walking down the road. They bumped into each other, and the the one friend excitedly said, "You're not going to believe this. I just got my new hearing aid. It's amazing. I can hear so well now. Everything is crisp and clear. Uh, it cost about a thousand dollar, three thousand dollars, but it was worth every penny." It actually attaches to uh, my phone by Bluetooth, so when I get a call, I can take the call and hear everything. It's amazing. And his friend said, that is so awesome. I'm so happy for you. Which one is it? And he said, oh, it's about 1230. <laughs> we don't always have what we think we have, do we? <laughs> have you ever seen the latest and greatest or something? I'm, I'm putting that column right with you. Oh, wait, you're moving. Now I'm going to move. <laughs> I'm not sure where to stand yet. Have you ever seen the latest and, and greatest gizmo or gadget, and you think, that is going to change my life, and so you go and buy it, and you're so excited, and you spent weeks researching it and reading reviews and watching YouTube videos, and you get it, and it's just not quite there, right? We've all been there. What I want to do this morning is take that idea, that we've that experience that we've all had, and I want to apply it to God. And I, I want to ask you, uh, what is God like? 
What comes to mind? If I say to you, who is God or what is God, what comes to mind? Okay. All right, that sums it up. <laughs> I think what we've learned is he's the only one that knows the answer. Meaning God, not Mike. <laughs> this week, as I was starting uh, prepping my sermon, I asked Micah, just out of curiosity, I go, what's God like? And he kind of laughed, and he went, I don't know, cool? <laughs> like, okay, fair answer. What I want to do is just take a minute. Um, I, I downloaded a bunch of pictures. I googled the word God and images, and we're going to just look at some pictures that came up and just see uh, if any of these resonate with you. When I say to you, what's God like, or, or who is God, do these images pop in your mind? The first couple that we'll see, I was surprised that a bulk of the initial images were Hindu gods. Um, and I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they're, they're, a lot of times they have, you know, like all these different arms and stuff. There was one really cool one that was an elephant floating in the air. I thought about grabbing that, but um, that was an ancient Sumerian god. That was an Egyptian god, Osiris, right? We've all heard the name Osiris. Zeus with his lightning bolt. And then we get into uh, a more Christian perception of what God is. And this is from the Sistine Chapel. It's a famous painting of, of uh, God reaching out to David. There's a whole sermon behind that. But you notice David's just kind of like, eh, whatever. But God is reaching. He's extending himself to David. There's another one of God. Notice the, the I'm going to call them children around him, right? Those are supposed to be the cherubim, the angels. There's God holding the world. He's got the whole world in his hand. This one was from like a, a computer video game or something, but I don't know. But, but what you'll start to notice from the last few is that God tends to be an old white guy. Did you notice that? <laughs> There's God at a press conference. Uh, Monty Python fans, anyone? Okay. We're not supposed to acknowledge that out loud. <laughs> Simpsons fans. Any Simpsons fans here? Really? Oh, well. <laughs> and then we're going to kind of park on this one for a minute. But you'll notice uh, it's another picture of God. He's got the, the little baby butts around him, right? Those are supposed to be the cherubim. You see the dove there. That's, I assume, meant to be the Holy Spirit. But you notice that God is an old white guy with a beard. It's interesting to me, um, no matter, for the most part, when you search through images of God or pictures of God, they almost always resemble people or some kind of an animal. But many of them resemble humanity in some way. Again, the old white guy is a very Western perspective. But I was reflecting on this and thinking to myself, if we think of God that way, would that not affect the way we pray to God? Does it not affect the way we approach God, the way we think of God? Now, I mentioned uh, last week we're going to be talking about prayer, and last week and this week we're, we're talking about prayer without talking about prayer. We're kind of approaching the topic of prayer, and I'm kind of setting the stage for something that changed my life just in the past year and a half or so, the way I pray. Um, very often in the Gospels we read about Jesus withdrawing to pray. So he'll have a busy day, right? He'll be healing people or doing his thing, and then it says he withdrew to pray. And he's always taking time, setting... You know, I always think I'm going to find time this week, right? Like it's going to just passively come to me. You have to aggressively designate time to go before God. 
And Jesus did that. When he was at his busiest, it seems like every time he was at his busiest in ministry, he had the most people crowding around him. That's when you read, but he withdrew to pray. He backed off. And you see this pattern emerge in the Gospels, if you're paying attention, that Jesus will withdraw to pray, and then the next story in the Gospel will be him performing a miracle, healing somebody, or something to that effect. He withdraws to pray, and then the next uh, section, the next part of the Gospel, he's uh, doing tremendous ministry. He's, he's uh, delivering some sort of a sermon, a sermon on the mount or something like that. He withdraws to pray, and he chooses his disciples. But always before he does any kind of action of significance, it says that he withdrew to pray. And so there's power in our prayer life. The earliest church, as you look through the book of Acts, it talks about the church always gathered to pray, to look into the word, right, to worship God together. They were seeking the Lord together. And so new guy, new pastor, and a new church, right? I want our church to explode. I want huge numbers not for the sake of numbers, not for the sake of success, but because I want people to experience Jesus the way we have. And if we want to do that as a church successfully, if we want to grow in our ministry to one another and in our ministry to the city, I think we need to make prayer a priority, the highest priority. And so, again, we're leading up to a look at prayer. What is prayer? I think if I told, you know, if I just walked down the street and find somebody and said, pray, they could come up with something, right? But when you stop and think about it, what is prayer exactly? How do you do prayer? When do you do prayer? How do we think about prayer? What is it? This morning, we're going to address the question of to who or to what are we praying? So again, we looked last week at the tabernacle setup and the veil tore into it, and that allows us to come in the presence of God. But what does that look like? What does that mean? I used to, as a youth pastor, talking to, to teenagers who are very unfamiliar with prayer, don't know what it is or anything, I would always start out by saying prayer is just simply talking to God. It's simply talking to God. And I think what God has shown me just in the past year or so, again, is that Prayer is simply talking to God. God wants you to talk to him. He wants to speak to you. But I think when we dwell on simply talking to God, sometimes it causes us to take who God is for granted. He becomes the kind-looking white guy with the beard, a grandfather figure. Simply talking to God uh, can sometimes lead us to deliver our spiritual shopping list. So we go to pray and, and we say, you know, hey God, good to see you. I need a car. I need money. I need this. I need that. Heal Aunt Bonnie. And and as I was reflecting on this, we I did the uh, the Zoom prayer meeting this past week, and I did that. I'm confessing that now. I started praying. I thanked God for the day, and then I went down the list of prayer requests that we had talked about. Mind you, I'm not saying these things are wrong. But I think there's a depth that we lack when we do that. Simply talking to God, I think, can often feel like intimacy with God. But what we're doing is we're becoming familiar with our projection of God. So again, if I say to you, you know, who is God? And, and if you think of that nice old guy, that grandfather figure, you're becoming familiar with that understanding of God, not necessarily intimacy with God. 
So for some of you, I don't know you that well, some of you, uh, prayer may be a new concept. Talking to God. You're like, talking to God? What? What does that mean? How do I do that? Uh, if you don't know what prayer is or how to do it, um, this morning I would say this, that is a beautiful place to be. That is a beautiful place to be. Because you're going to try it in the next few days and it's going to blow your world up. Many of you, I'm sure, have been praying for years. And I hope that what we look at this morning will just challenge your understanding of prayer. Even if you know everything that I'm about to say, hopefully it'll just kind of reawaken it in your heart. Uh, again, if you've been praying for years, I'm not saying you've been doing it wrong. But the one thing I'm saying is this. God is eternal. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere at once. He's the beginning and the end. And so even if you've been praying for years, there's a dynamic where God is knowable. God wants you to know him. But there's also a dynamic of God where he is incomprehensible. You will spend your whole life pursuing God, and no matter how close you get to him, there is still an eternal God behind that to know. And so I hope as we, as we look through the passages this morning that we're going to take a look at and kind of try to understand God a little better this morning, that you will get to know him in, in new ways, in different ways. It'll, it'll reawaken maybe that pursuit of God. The Bible speaks of an intimacy that we can have with God that blows my mind. I, I have a hard time with it. I struggle with it sometimes. The scripture says that we can call God Abba. And that word Abba means daddy. And I remember having a district superintendent years ago saying, you know, I've read that verse over and over and over, and I know Paul says we can refer to God as Abba. But he goes, you, that verse doesn't mean as much to you until you're in Israel in a marketplace and you hear a little child running around going, Abba, Abba, looking for his dad. There's that deep, deep level of intimacy that God wants from us, that we can call him dad. And yet, prayer, approaching our Abba, is coming into the presence of God. And what we're going to see this morning is that when we come into the presence of God, we very quickly bump into God's holiness. And when we bump into God's holiness, the last thing we're thinking about is calling him daddy. So there's a, a seeming paradox of how we're supposed to understand God. You'll find as you read the scriptures, if, if you allow yourself to go there, there are all kinds of paradoxes. The paradox is when there's kind of two ideas that seem to conflict with each other, but they're both true. And so God is eternal and un unknowable and yet wants us to know him, right? He is uh, harsh and wrathful and, and a God of justice and also a God of compassion and mercy. And so I hope this morning we kind of bump into God's holiness and we kind of bump into that paradox of, of our daddy being an eternal God. We're going to look this morning at Isaiah 6. Beginning of Isaiah 6 is one of my favorite passages. Uh, we're going to learn a little bit of Hebrew, and hopefully it'll kind of fill out this passage for us. But the beginning of chapter 6 in Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Can you imagine that in your mind? There are these seraphim, these angels that have six wings and two cover their face, two cover their feet, and two are flying. That, in my mind, that looks very different from the baby butts we saw, right? Let's talk about some of the, the Hebrew in there, some of the words, and kind of flesh out what that means. Uh, most of us are probably familiar with the idea that the train of his robe filled the temple, right? You've probably heard that passage at some point. That word train in Hebrew is shul. And I'm going to make you say a lot of Hebrew words. Shul. Say it. Shul. Shul. The word shul, uh, which is translated here as the train of his robe, actually means the hem. So where the, the pieces of cloth are sewn together is the hem. Now in ancient Israel, uh, everybody had like a, an outer garment, a cloak, and it would be sewn. The sleeves would be sewn on. There'd be different panels sewn on. And so there were hems just as part of, just as we have with our shirts, right? Our sleeves are sewn on by a hem. Now, if you were poor, which most people were, you had just a sewn hem. So where the cloth met, it was sewn together. That was the shul. Okay? If you had some means, if you had a little bit of uh, finance behind you, right, there would be metal decorations sewn into the hem. So it might be like brass or something. But it was just a decoration sewn into the hem. And those decorations were called kavod. So say kavod. Kavod. So kavod can translate into weight, right, because it was a metal, so it had a weight to it. It also kind of uh, spoke about that person's power, right, because if they had some kavod sewn in, then it meant they had a little bit of money behind them, a little bit of power. Kavod can also be translated glory. Now, if you were in that culture and you had a lot of money, you would have kavod sewn into your shul that was gold or silver or something like that. Precious metals were sewn in. So the more wealth you had, the more power you had, the more kavod you had sewn into your shul. And again, it meant weight, specifically the weight of the precious metals that were sewn into your shul. Now, the angels that were flying around God declared he is holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That glory is the kavod the weight, the wealth, the power of God. Now when we read holy, 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 that word in Hebrew is one of my favorites, kadosh. Doesn't it sound powerful? Kadosh. Say kadosh. Kadosh. The angels were declaring God holy. They were saying kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Yahweh tzava, eretz melo kavod. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So holy, holy, holy. Again, that word holy means set apart. Now, if you try to imagine those angels. There's angels flying around God that have six wings and one's covering their face. Excuse me, two covering their face, two covering their feet, two they're flying. Can you imagine that in your head? I, I can't. <laughs> right? So those creatures in my head are set apart. They are special. That, that's something that I can't fathom. And those beings are saying that God is set apart from what's set apart from what's set apart. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Holy, holy, holy. 
is the Lord of hosts. Now, the Lord of hosts is the word tzava. I'll make you say it, tzava. That's a fun one. In Hebrew, there's a T and a Z right next to each other. So you go, like you're getting zapped. Tzava. Tzava can be translated to divisions of armies, heavenly armies, or the Almighty with a focus on great power to conquer or to rule. So our God is kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Holy, holy, holy. Set apart from what's set apart from what's set apart. Spoken by creatures that we can't even fathom in our mind. And those creatures are saying God is is set apart from what's set apart from what's set apart. He's the almighty, great in power to conquer or to rule. Eretz melo kavod. Eretz is the word for earth. Melo is just the fullness, the fullness of the earth. And then kavod is the glory, the weight of God. The whole earth is full of the kavod of God, the glory of God. So with that in mind, that that image in mind as best we can fathom, last week we talked about how the, the tabernacle was representative of God's presence among his people, right? And within that tabernacle was the holy place. And within that holy place was a smaller room called the Holy of Holies where God's presence was said to be. But it was separated by a veil. Remember, and that veil represented our sin and that we can't come into the presence of God. So he's with us, but we can't be with him fully. And yet when Jesus died, the moment he died, it said that veil was torn in two, saying that we can come before God, we can come into his presence. But what happens when we come face to face with that kavod of God? Well, Isaiah continues on in verse 4. It says, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So when you think about great people in the Bible, you, you would think Isaiah would rank because he's got a book. He was a prophet of God, the mouthpiece of God. And this great holy man came before God and he fell flat on his face. And he cried out because he recognized his sinfulness. When we come face to face with the holiness of God, when we go through that torn veil and come into God's presence, it becomes glaringly obvious how very unholy we are. Our sinfulness, which on a daily basis as we live our lives, we become accustomed to our sinfulness. And yet when we come in the presence of God, that sinfulness is just glaring before us. And Isaiah fell flat on his face. Being in the presence of God as a sinful creature brings a sense of doom and despair. When in our frailty, in our imperfection, in our sin, our rebelliousness, we come before a perfect, holy, holy, holy God. Now let's think back to uh, the Israelites in the book of Exodus. Uh, If you remember the story, we'll kind of fast forward through. God selected Abraham, said, I'm going to make a great people out of you. The nation of Israel comes in. Uh, We know that they were enslaved in Egypt. Moses called them out. 
And we're going to look at Exodus 19 after they've been called out and, and God's leading them through the desert. Exodus 19, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So God is saying to Moses, I'm going to speak to you in such a way that the people hear me and they know that I am speaking directly to you. Now there's a, a picture up that I'm going to uh, let you look at just to get some sort of a visual of what you're looking at or what you're hearing. But as I'm reading this next section of scripture, just imagine, use that as kind of a, a, a starting point to imagine what these people are seeing and experiencing. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Can you imagine this God that calls you out of Egypt and you're wandering through the desert and you remember the plight of the Israelites? You know, oh great, I guess there wasn't enough water in Egypt, so now you brought us out in the desert to die. At least we had food back there. Yeah, we were slaves, but at least they fed us, right? All these things are going through your mind. And now all of a sudden, Moses goes up on this mountain that's just shrouded in smoke and noise and earthquakes. They came into God's presence, and they were terrified. And these are God's chosen people. In Exodus 20, the next chapter, part of this exchange is that God delivers to Moses the Ten Commandments, or the Law, the Torah in Hebrew. And in Exodus 20 we read, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. You think? And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Now let me read the beginning of that last verse one more time and process this in your mind. Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. So which is it? Don't be afraid or be afraid? It's another paradox. Are we supposed to fear God or are we supposed to not fear God? The answer is both. In Psalm 19, verse 9, the psalmist writes, The fear of the Lord is clean. That word clean means pure or flawless, enduring forever. And I want to focus on that passage. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. But I'm going to put it in the context of Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. And consider again where the Israelites were. They had just met this God, this God pulled them out of slavery in Egypt, Egypt, but they were still wondering where their meals were coming from, where their water was coming from, were they safe, what's happening, where are we going to end up? 
And then they experienced that time where Moses was speaking to God and they were terrified. And in that time, God gave them the law, the Torah, and taught them how they were to live. And the psalmist in Psalm 19 writes this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Now I wonder if you guys think about the law of God. Think about like the Old Testament law. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Does that revive your soul? That is not the poem that I would write. But again, in the context of where they were at, these people were in Egypt, where there were gods and goddesses for all different things, right? And this is common even to this day in many countries. There are gods and goddesses that control the weather, control your crops, control fertility, control your food, control everything. And they're, and they're far off. And yet you need food, you need water, you need shelter, you need these things. And so you have to figure out a way to appease these gods, right? In kind of a really bad, awkward, imbalanced business transaction, you have to figure out what that god or goddess may or may not want and provide it to them in hopes that they may or may not give you what you need. And here is God, right, terrified as they are, saying to the people, I am God, and this is what I require of you. So he was removing the guesswork. He was telling them exactly what he expected of them, exactly how to live in such a way that God would bless them. It was a great blessing for the people. But, Paul says in Romans 4, For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That word transgression translates to, it's like trespassing. It's knowingly disobeying. And that's different because if I were to ask you, are you a sinner? we're all pretty much okay going, yeah, I'm a sinner, therefore I need God's grace. But when we say that, very often we think of ourselves as passive sinners. Adam and Eve messed up big, and that got passed on down the line through the generations to me, right? So I'm just really, I'm kind of a victim of what Adam and Eve did. If we're honest with ourselves, that's, that's often our mentality. Are you a sinner? Yes, I am a sinner, and I need God's grace. But what transgression means is knowingly disobeying. Those are those moments when you have a decision in front of you and you know what's right and what's wrong. And you still do the wrong. And again, as we've talked about, it's because we know better than God, right? God's out there. He's holy, holy, holy. He doesn't understand what I'm going through right here. And so transgression, knowingly disobeying, goes back to that phrase, ignorance is bliss. If we don't know what's wrong, then we can't get blamed for doing it, right? But God's wiser than us, so he caught on as a good parent, and he said, all right, so I will explain to you exactly what's right and what's wrong. So before the law, it's not that sin didn't exist, 
but it's that it wasn't clearly defined. But as God brought about the law in that time with Moses, now the people knew exactly what was expected of them. In Romans 7, Paul says, If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. And so the law, I don't particularly often think of the law as a blessing because it condemns me, but the law is a blessing because it reveals to us our sinfulness. But it's also kind of a curse because it reveals to us our sinfulness. So how does the psalmist celebrate the law that reveals to us how very ungodly we are, how very unholy we are? And Paul in his writings makes it very clear that our salvation doesn't come through the law. Our salvation comes through the law giver. God doesn't present the law to us to condemn us. God presents the law to us to give us awareness of how very unholy our lives are and how great our need for him is how great and desperate our need for his salvation is. So back to Isaiah with that understanding in mind. Our salvation comes not through the law, but through the law giver. Isaiah writes, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. So again, Isaiah comes before God, right? Isaiah, this great prophet, this holy man, comes before God, falls flat on his face in front of a holy, holy, holy God because he's a man of unclean lips and he dwells among people who have unclean lips. And he cries out in his sinfulness. He cries out in his desperation. And he finds there grace and mercy and cleansing and provision from the Lord. God does not present the law to us so that he can smite us. He presents the law to us so that we know how unholy we are and how desperate we are for his holiness to be on us. I want to read a section from a book called New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp. It's kind of a daily devotional. Um, if you're looking for something... Uh, to read every day, that it, it, I will say this, it connects with my soul. He writes in a way that just connects me to God. Sarah, not so much. So that was thoroughly unhelpful, but I'm going to read it anyway. <laughs> uh, Paul Tripp in New Morning Mercies wrote this. What did I bring to your salvation table? I had no righteousness to offer, no strength to give, no wisdom to present. There was nothing that I could deliver that would commend me to you. I crawled broken to your table, weighed down and crippled by my sin, my guilt, my weakness, my foolishness, my pride, my shame. I had no right to be with you, but you picked me up and placed me there. You fed me the life-giving nutrients of grace with your nail-scarred hands. And I haven't left your table of mercy since. God gave us the law so that we understood how far short of his holiness we come. But he didn't do it to pile on guilt and shame and condemnation. He did it so we understand our place before him and our need for him. 
but as we reflect on our salvation, the salvation that God provided, that the, the veil was torn in two, allowing us into his presence, we need to also remember that our salvation, we benefit greatly from our salvation, right? It works out really well for us. But our salvation is for God's kavod. It's for God's glory. We have nothing to offer God but as Isaiah did, to lay down flat on our faces before him and cry out in desperation. And then as God extends himself to us, as he picks us up, forgives us, dusts us off, it's to his glory. God has a purpose for each one of us. God has chosen you. Let that sink in as you contemplate coming before the holiness of God, that if you're here this morning and you're hearing these words, God has chosen you to pick you up. But we can't stop there. As we reflect on coming into God's presence, being blown away by his holiness, by our own unholiness being revealed by the the grace and mercy and compassion that we receive, we think of that as kind of the salvation baggage. But it doesn't stop there. There's another Hebrew word I want to teach you, and it's a fun one because it's got one of those phlegmy things. Yalach. Can you say that? Yalach. I'm glad I didn't hear it after. <laughs> Yalach is the Hebrew word for go. It means to walk, to carry, to bear, to bring. In Isaiah 6, he continues on after experiencing God's presence and his holiness, after experiencing God's mercy and cleansing. He says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to the people. And he passes his message on to Isaiah. But after experiencing God's presence in fear and trembling, collapsing under the weight of his sin, receiving that cleansing from God, God delivered to him his purpose. Who will go for me? And Isaiah, being changed by that experience, said, send me. And so God said to him, Yelech, I have a purpose for you. And so my hope, church, is that we can come into God's presence and experience the holiness of God. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. And as we do that, recognize God's grace and mercy, but also recognize that God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for us as a church in this city. This building, how long has it been here? A hundred years, give or take? Somebody at some point found this building or built this building in this place, and that's why it's here. But God's behind that. This building is not here by accident. This building is here because God said, that's the place. And you all are here this morning, not because you just wandered in off the street, although if you did, we're happy to have you. But if you wandered in off the street, it's because God was ushering you in. Hey, God has a mission for us. 
God who is kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. That same God that is terrifying took on flesh and was born among his creation as a man, as one of us, so that we can relate to God, so that God who is kadosh, kadosh, kadosh suddenly seems more approachable, more understandable. That God became our high priest, as we talked about last week. Jesus is our high priest. And in Hebrews 4, it says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, and yet he did not sin. God understands everything we go through. Any physical hurt, he has felt. Any loss, he has felt. The sting of of friends betraying you, he has felt. Not being recognized for who you are and how valuable you are, he has felt. Every hurt that we can possibly think of or, or have experienced in our life, he can relate to because he went through it all. And that Jesus is the same God who is kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. When that veil tore in two, it tore because God stepped off of his throne in heaven to become like us, to take our sins and our hurts and our imperfections on himself and to die for them, to free us from that, allowing us to come into the presence of God. But we need to remember that salvation, though we benefit greatly from it, is for God's kadosh. Excuse me, God's kavod. I'm using the wrong word now. It's for God's glory. We benefit greatly. We are blessed to be part of it. When we share our faith with someone and and they receive Christ and they have new life, we are blessed by that. It's an amazing experience for us, but it's for God's kavod. It's not for us. He allowed us to be part of it. And yet, he says to us, Yalech, go. I have a purpose for you. I have a mission for you. Are you willing to do it? Rebecca, can I possibly put you on the spot to to play a song? (laughs) Yeah, 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 one of the ones that we did. What I was thinking, and and you can throw things at me if this is not okay. Um, Maybe Rebecca will just play some music for just a few minutes quietly. And I would just invite you to come before God this morning. Just sit quietly. Be in his presence. Experience that holiness of God. If you suddenly recognize how very unholy you are before God, it's okay to not be okay. If you, if you pretend like you're okay and you walk out those doors, you're going to be hurting yourself. If God reveals to you, dude, you're a mess. This sin is coming between us. This hurt is coming between us. You know, you've been dwelling on this hurt since you were a kid, and I want to bring healing to you. Let God speak to you this morning. And as he does, 
lay down before him, physically or metaphorically, I don't care. But let him minister to you. Let him bring healing to you. So if you could just maybe play quietly for a few minutes and then lead us in a song as we close. Um, I would invite you to come in the presence of God. Be honest with yourself to receive what he says to you and to deal with it today. If you want prayer with somebody, I'll be sitting up here. I'm sure Don would be okay with praying with you or Frank. Find somebody that you, you know, you trust well enough, and go before them and just spill your guts. Let us know what's going on, and we'll pray with you. Or listen for that word, yelech. Maybe this morning God will say to you, you, I have this for you. And share that with someone too before you go. I'll, I'll have you uh, play quietly, lead us in a song, and then I'll get up to close us in prayer. It, it may be that you had a moment with God just now. It may be not. Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples, said, where's the wind? Where's it going? And he related that to the Holy Spirit. You can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind itself. And the Spirit is like that. So maybe you didn't have a moment now. And I would just encourage you, be open to God. Take time this week. If you haven't done it last week, and I know you haven't, Set time aside to just sit quietly with God. Don't listen to music, even if it's worship music. It'll distract you. Don't necessarily open your scripture because sometimes that can distract you. Just sit quietly and wait on God. I was just talking to a, a friend of mine. I reconnected from college yesterday, last night, and he was talking about walking away from the Lord. He had a, a tragedy in his family, and he walked away from the Lord for a time. And he was challenged to listen for God. And he said he was walking down the street at night and walked past an abandoned home, and that's when God decided to speak to him. And he said he, it was as clear as he's ever heard God before. Are you, are you open to hearing from God in that way? Tune your ears to the Lord. Let him speak to you. Come before his holiness. Find the cleansing and the healing that he wants for you and the purpose that he has for you. I'm going to close us in prayer, and I just I hope that uh, if you did have, you know, if you received a word this morning, share it with me, share it with Frank. Just be open this week if you didn't. If God speaks to us. Let's pray together. God, you are holy, holy, holy. We cannot comprehend your holiness your perfection, your greatness, the weight of your glory that fills the whole world. God, we confess this morning our unholiness. We confess to you that not only are we imperfect, but we are prideful and rebellious. That we're not just passive sinners, but on a regular basis, we choose to do other than what we know you want us to do. God, we ask that you would forgive us. Would you cleanse us the way you cleansed Isaiah? 
allow us to experience you in a way that changes our lives. And Lord, would we receive that purpose that you would have for us individually and as a church. Make it clear to us what you would have us do in this neighborhood and in this city. And God, would you give us the boldness of Isaiah to say to you, here am I, send me. God, we love you. We praise you for who you are. We praise you for your holiness and we thank you for your compassion and your mercy on us. We thank you for sending Jesus to not only bear our own sins and die for them and allow us forgiveness and to come into your presence, but now he serves as our high priest who can relate to everything that we struggle with. Lord, free us from our sin, free us from our pride, free us from the hurts that we have experienced in our lives so that we can serve you well. We pray this in all humility and in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.